Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we'll be talking to Alex Kugelman. Alex is a tax controversy lawyer with expertise in cryptocurrency and IRS audits. He is the founder of Kugelman Law, an industry leader in the niche area of crypto taxes. Alex is also one of the audit defense partners over at Bitcoin.tax. Alex, thank you so much for coming on today. Sal, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course, it's always a pleasure having you on. As far as I'm concerned, Alex, you are pretty much the king of audit information. We've had you on the podcast multiple times, talked a lot about audits, cryptocurrency audits in particular. Um, tax season is rapidly approaching. So I figured, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about audits and what they entail, what people should worry about, what they should uh, know about audits. So let's start with the basics for anybody that hasn't heard the past podcast. How does an audit occur? Why does an audit happen um, in general? Uh, You know, we're talking about cryptocurrency, but in general, what triggers an audit? Well, generally, I mean, they're with the IRS, you know, audits can be triggered a number of ways. Um, Sometimes that can be as simple as the computer systems trying to match information provided by third parties with the information reported on a return. Um, Other ways um, are essentially that there are things reported on a tax return that are kind of outside the norm. And with respect to cryptocurrency, you know, there's going to be a couple of different things that kind of trigger an audit. All right. So first um, is going to be information provided by a third party that indicates some sort of taxable income that the IRS is unable to reconcile with the information on a return. All right. So just think generally, Um, Most people, uh, if they're an employee, they get a W-2 at the end of the year. It reports the total amount of wages or salary. It reports the withholding um, and some other kind of information on the W-2. If you file a tax return that, you know, says that the total amount of salary is $50,000, but the W-2 says $100,000, then you're going to get a matching notice or what I would call a correspondence audit, okay? Mm -hmm. So with cryptocurrency... Um, what we're seeing right now is that certain exchanges are issuing what's called a 1099K, which is actually a merchant processing statement, or basically if you're a, a business and have credit card sales, then, you know, Visa or MasterCard will send a 1099K reporting the gross sales, okay? Cryptocurrency exchanges have kind of used this form now to report the gross amount of transactions, Okay, so you can imagine um, an exchange uh, issuing the 1099K, let's say reporting $500,000 of gross proceeds or sales in a year. And on a tax return, either the 500,000 is not reported or someone reported just the net gain or loss, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe they had basis of you know, 450,000 of that 500,000. So they have a $50,000 um, gain mm-hmm. and maybe they just put $50,000. That, that has been a kind of major um, driver of correspondence audits um, and especially in the last um, year or so. So that's kind of the, the first example of, a, of what I would consider like the, the lowest grade type of audit. And I think a lot of people that are probably listening to this episode right now have received one of those 1099Ks and they're probably pretty paranoid because oftentimes those 1099Ks will reflect a figure, as you mentioned, that is really outside what that person actually made. You know, it might say, hey, $500,000 in proceeds. And they're thinking to themselves, man, I ended the year with 
$20,000 in crypto and the IRS thinks I made $500,000 and they're petrified and they don't understand it. So I do think a lot of people listening are probably people that have had received a 1099K. Yeah. And the, and the 1099Ks are, are really not designed. You know, if, if you think about what, what I think the most, like the most um, similar type of event for kind of a, a traditional cryptocurrency trader would be someone who trades in stocks, right? And you, at the end of the year, you get a 1099B or you might get a 1099 consolidated, right? And in the, you know, in recent years, um, you know, because, because the IRS has kind of required it, the, uh, the brokerage houses have provided basis information, right? So when that 1099B or 1099 consolidated is issued with stock trades, it's going to show the total amount, the gross amount of proceeds of sales, the total basis. It's going to show whether it's long-term or short-term capital gain. Um, and so even if you don't report it, the, the matching notice you get from the IRS is pretty much going to very likely correctly, um, you know, propose the additional tax that you might owe. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in the world of cryptocurrency, there's no basis provided. There's no acquisition date provided, or even, you know, it, it does indicate the months of the transactions, but it just gives the gross figure. Um, and for a lot of people, if you're involved with cryptocurrency, you're probably not just going into a single exchange and trading on that exchange and walking away, you probably have multiple exchanges. You probably are sending crypto to and from um, your wallet or cold storage. Um, and it's not just a single a single set of transactions on a, in a single place that really needs to be reported. It's the entire, the entire um, scope of the activity that needs to be there. And this 1099K is just one part of it, right? right. And you, know, you can imagine that creates a lot of problems. Um, and going back to the stock issue, this was a major issue about 10 years ago with the IRS with stocks until the 1099Bs were, were adjusted to report basis. And so I think what's going to happen is, is that there's just going to be a, a lot of these correspondence exams that, um, that end up kind of either not being resolved at the audit stage or just won't be resolved at the audit stage because I'm you know, concerned that maybe this methodology or this method of exam, even though it's like the lowest form and the least threatening, is probably not very well suited for dealing with kind of the complex accounting issues that are um, presented in a uh, in an audit with crypto. So let me ask you this, and you may not have an answer yet, um, but do you think that there are IRS agents that are you know seeing these 1099Ks that people get, and then that's triggering an audit? I, I guess my question is, do you think that the IRS agents are aware of kind of how faulty and how unrepresentative 1099Ks are, and then are there IRS agents that are triggering audits or likely to trigger audits because of these 1099Ks, even though they're faulty? I think that there are some. I mean, there are some people at the IRS who are very in tune with cryptocurrency and the reporting issues. But, you know, I mean, there, there's a, there's a couple, couple different ways to kind of a- approach that question. So first is, let's just take a straight matching notice issue where the 1099K is um, the computer matches the 1099K with a tax return and says, we can't match it. Let's send this taxpayer a notice. A CP2, it's, a, it's a CP2000 notice, mm-hmm. okay? Saying, you know, let's say Coinbase reported $500,000 of gross proceeds. We don't see it on your return. We're proposing, you know, additional 100,000 plus of tax and, you know, penalties, right? In that case, the CP2000 and the unit that deals with it 
is like a lot of the large units at the IRS in which it's not the most skilled people who are dealing with those issues. And they're people that are generally dealing with single item issues, right? That are very straightforward. And I have found just in, in, the, in kind of responding to these, it's kind of a catch 22 because on one hand, when you're dealing with a cryptocurrency audit, you might have years of data and you might have, and you know this Al, thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of lines of transactions mm -hmm. that are coming from different sources. Now you can imagine trying to draft a letter responding to this with sample, um, or at least with, with the transactions that are relevant and then providing the underlying data. I mean, in a typical audit, I mean, this is a thumb drive with you know, dozens or you know, dozens or hundreds of Excel or CSV files and, and kind of you know, you know, weaving that all together in a presentation. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you do the same thing for somebody who's not as well-trained, who you can't talk to, who you can't walk through. And, you know, I mean, the, when you try to respond to these, if you send paper, you're sending reams of paper yeah. and it's almost, almost meaningless to send that much. Right. So that's, what's kind of frustrating about it is, you know, is if you don't have an actual person in front of you, you know, you might be just have to be resigned to the fact that you're not going to resolve it right away. And you're going to have to wait until you get to the IRS office of appeals um, to, ha to have an actual living, breathing person who hopefully does have some accounting background who you can walk through and explain um, kind of what's going on. Um, you know, the, the second part of your question, which was, um, you know, the agents looking at the 1099K. So let's take a different result. Let's say someone gets this and goes, wow, this is a big number on this 1099K. It was not reported or the person never filed a tax return, Right that might get sent to a revenue agent for what's called a field exam or just a, a more typical audit where you have a um, IRS auditor, a revenue agent who's you know going to conduct an in-person audit. Um, well, it's gonna be by Zoom these days, but mm -hmm. you know, traditional in-person audit or even, even potentially worse with you know, criminal. But in that case, you know, the bad side is, is that your downside is that you're with a higher level, more trained person um, who, there's, who has more discretion and authority for a, for a larger scope audit. Um, but the upside is, is that if you have, um, you know, correct accounting and things are presented correctly, you know, hopefully then you can get to a resolution in that audit that is, you know, correct and fair in your mind and hopefully doesn't kind of balloon into other areas or other tax years. Kind of, uh, you know, not to be dramatic with my word choice here, but it's kind of terrifying. Like, you know, I, I deal with people every day that, you know, they get these 1099Ks and they they just don't understand them at all. And, you know, I've done a bunch of podcasts with you. You've informed, you know, the hell out of me about these things. And I understand them. I cannot imagine being somebody that gets one of these 1099Ks doesn't really understand what it's doing and then has to wait until they have like a field agent you know, visit them or do a zoom call with them in order to prove that they didn't make, you know, $500,000. It sounds like it would be very stressful. And from the emails I've received from people, they've clearly seem very stressed about it. Um, so it's just kind of a, an overall, a, a crappy situation, which can be resolved by, of course, having somebody like you in their corner who will help them navigate this, which, you know, hopefully everybody listening will be able to do that. But for anybody that doesn't hear this, it's gotta be a, a scary situation. Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, 
the reality is, is that one, you, know, you have to have the underlying accounting, right, to figure out what is the answer, because you have to give someone an answer if you want to resolve it. Um, and then two is just, it, it's like anything else, you know, if you have experience in that situation or circumstance, you're going to act more out of um, logic and make kind of decisions that are, that, that make sense of where you're at, as opposed to, you know, I know where I am, you know, where I am inexperienced, you know, you can make, you can make mistakes without even realizing you're making mistakes, or you can concede things that you should never concede. Right. And that's, that's the thing about the IRS is that, you know, people, people have a lot of fear of the IRS and um, it's like anything. I mean, you, you should, you should have a healthy res- amount of fear for it and respect but at the same time, this is not a one-way street, right? You have certain rights as a taxpayer. Um, there are administrative boundaries for, you know, even, even the criminal agents, there's, there's boundaries for them. Um, and so understanding and having someone that understands that, who can kind of say to you, look, you know, you've gotten a bad draw with this person. Let's just try to get this wrapped up and move to the next level. You know, you may, it may be better off spending your time and money going to appeals or even going to U.S. tax court to kind of resolve this. Um, cause sometimes you can get so mired into mired and, you know, involved with, um, the, you know, kind of trying to kind of please or resolve it with the person that's in front of you. You may just have bad luck and gotten somebody who's just not in, not capable or able to understand what you're trying to, trying to resolve. Um, uh, and I, and I've dealt with audits that are not crypto that are very basic everyday, you know, kind of tax reporting items. And sometimes you come across people that just, they're not even well-trained. Yeah. And so you're kind of just wasting your time. So it, it's, it doesn't do you any good, no matter how, um, how much you want to cooperate and kind of resolve it. Right. And I guess that's kind of what I was saying is that it's almost, you know, there's, there are people that definitely made real big mistakes on their cryptocurrency taxes. And, you know, maybe a, a, an audit is not that unlikely with them. But in terms of the 1099K, I think what is worrisome, in my opinion, is that they can really just paint this picture that is inaccurate and somebody could really report their crypto taxes correctly a hundred percent. And then, you know, if they have this 1099 K that kind of skews their proceeds. Cause again, it, it reports their gross proceeds. You know, it doesn't take into account fees. Obviously it doesn't take into account cost basis, but it doesn't even take into account the fees that somebody paid, you know, on a trade. So, you know, if you sold Bitcoin for a thousand dollars, let's just say an example, and you paid a hundred dollar fee, you really only made $900, but your gross proceeds will show a thousand dollars. And so it doesn't paint an accurate picture. So I think it's kind of unfair that people will have to deal with this. And a lot of people in crypto don't really, aren't that really tech savvy. They're not really that savvy in general when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I wonder how it's going to go for them. Honestly, I wonder what that's going to be like if somebody does get um, audited for their crypto. No, I, I agree, and I think I, mean, the, I think we could have another conversation about whether the 1099k is is intended for for this, which it, I think we can both agree it's not. Right, and it's it it really puts taxpayers in a really unfair position. Um, but that that being said, I mean, a lot of people are gonna when you're dealing with an audit, the stress, the kind of um, you know whether the accounting is complex or not, but just just dealing with the administrative process is going to be. Um, there's going to be a lot for people to handle, right? It's, you know, maybe too much. And they might, they might, like I said, they might concede cases where they actually do have a decent chance um, to dramatically adjust what's happening. And as you point out, I mean, there could be numbers on that 1099K that just do not comport with reality, mm-hmm. right? They're just not the reality, right? And so um, being prepared to kind of present vigorously the reality is important. 
and to not accept just what is the going to be the lazy analysis is, is frankly going to, a lot of people are going to come up against, right? They're going to say, we just don't believe you. We think that this number was reported by a third party. Um, you haven't, you haven't carried your burden, right? And that, that's what you don't want to have happen. Yeah. Coinbase stopped uh, issuing the 1099Ks. I don't know if they decided to issue something different, but as far as I recall, a few months ago, there was a, a release that said they were not going to issue 1099Ks anymore, but other exchanges still are. I think that's a really good first step. And I think um, I can give the, the exchanges a hard time, but I mean, it, in many ways, the exchanges are trying to, are trying to especially that if they're trying to go mainstream, to be mainstream U.S. exchanges, they want to be in the um, good graces of regulators. And, you know, maybe thinking that 1099K is a, a way to do that. But I mean, the other, the other problem is, you know, where is the IRS here? You know, where's the IRS and kind of developing you know, forms that make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked with people at the IRS about this and, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, it's not surprising that Congress and Department of Treasury, I mean, they're trying to figure out how to address this and there's really been no meaningful, meaningful answers. So that means that, you know, who gets kind of caught on the short end of the stick and that's, you know, the taxpayers. Yeah. And I just looked it up and it looks like it says, they they said this in November of 2020, Coinbase, they said they're going to do a 1099 MISC from now on for rewards and or fees through Coinbase, Coinbase Pro and Coinbase Prime. So that doesn't even sound like it actually, um, you know, where the 1099K was talking about the proceeds you made from trades. It sounds like the 1099 MISC, it says for rewards and or fees. It doesn't sound like it includes trades. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean a 1099 miscellaneous is, you know, that's going to be if you're a contractor. Yeah, that's like freelance Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't address that. You know, I, I don't know why... Um, I'm not sure the reason why why 1099B is not issued, you know, for like like stock trades. And there might be some, you know, there might be some technical reason to say 1099B doesn't apply. But I think there's a technical reason to say that none of the tax forms um, re- really kind of address this. So, um, but unfortunately, there's people that are kind of dealing with these 1099Ks. And as far as I'm seeing right now, I'm seeing a lot of the 2018 1099Ks that are going through the CP2000 process. So that probably means, you know, we at least have, um, another year of, of these 1099, 1099k issues. I mean, and and there there really could be a solution for this. I mean, there's it's not as if you couldn't design a tax form that that kind of correctly reports basis and you know sales price. And, you know, I think you brought this up uh, last episode when we did a roundtable. I think it was you and uh, Matt Metris, I believe, uh, were on the podcast mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and um, you know, you say that, and I don't want to stray too far, but man, I'm thinking of. I think that'd be great if they could do that, but it would almost be like they would all have to incorporate a Bitcoin.tax like software into their, into their exchange in order to know where the cost basis kind of came from, because if people are transferring in and out, you know, how would Coinbase know, you know, that where that transferred coin, what the cost basis was, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess, um, you know, my, my thought would be if, if I ran an exchange, I might set up an actual kind of, a, a separate service where you say, where you basically say, look, if you, everything that you purchase and keep in here, we'll track basis and report this all for you. But yeah, no, I do, I do hear what you're saying on the basis side for sure. Yeah. All right. So Alex, I, I mentioned that people dealing with crypto, they may not always know all the ins and outs, right? I mean, even the IRS doesn't know all the ins and outs of the tax law. Sometimes there's no answer for something and somebody could very easily make a mistake when they're filing their crypto taxes. So my question to you then is, 
you know, and I mentioned this before, having somebody like you in their corner would be really helpful. So what can you do to help somebody that is in a situation like this? As an audit defense specialist, what can you do? Sure. So, I mean, the, I mean, the very first thing when you have someone, a new client who comes in with a audit issue is to kind of just get a lay of the land. Um, what are the items that the IRS uh, is interested in? What did the person report? And what are some issues that maybe are outside of the scope of the specific audit, but may be concerning, you know, if the audit expands, right? And once you kind of figure that out, then it's a matter of pulling together all of the records to support the analysis of what the correct taxable, um, uh, taxable gain or loss is, right? And then communicating that to the auditor. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, par- part, of, you know, part of what comes into this is it depends what type of audit it is, right? So as we talked about, you know, you have a 1099K that leads to a CP2000 or a correspondence audit, you know, which is really an audit by mail. So there it's putting together kind of a more targeted, precise response that we are hopeful. And I really mean hopeful because there's no guarantee when you respond to those notices that you're going to get somebody who um, will understand, but hopeful that it will answer the questions and resolve the audit. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't, then part of what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the response is from the IRS and kind of look at it, do a cost benefit analysis, right? Does it make sense to keep, to keep going? Um, what's, what are your, what are your odds of, of prevailing at IRS office of appeals or U S tax court? Um, and kind of coming up with a, um, you know, what, what is the best path to resolve everything? Okay. Now, if it's an audit, that's a field exam, where you have a revenue agent, you know, that is naturally going to have a much more um, likely chance of expanding in scope, which could mean more tax years, or it could mean more tax items, you know, other, other types of income, right? Let's say you have a small business or rental property also on your tax return. You can get questions on those items as well. Um, and you have to keep in mind in, in, with a, a revenue agent, it's gonna be a much longer process it's going to um, involve potentially a client interview. And if you have a representative, typically the client interview is not required. The, the representative serve, you know, provides you know, the answers during the interview. Right. Um, and, but you can expect that's obviously kind of a more drawn out process. It can be more stressful. But again, it's kind of working with the auditor trying to get to a resolution. And you know, again, I say this all the time with um, potential clients is that they don't understand that they do have some leverage in an audit, which is that the IRS is um, underfunded, overworked, too many cases, not enough revenue agents. So if you can get to a resolution more quickly, that isn't the benefit of the IRS. And you might be able to use that leverage to kind of get the case wrapped up. Um, so those are the kind of, I mean, that, this is that kind of experience that we have in kind of dealing with the IRS that kind of I think it goes to, that benefits our client. Yeah. And especially as I mentioned, when uh, I personally am very often surprised when I, when I have, you know, somebody from Bitcoin.tax or or a client come up to me and, and really have very little information about cryptocurrency in general, even though they have tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of trades, 
They have very little information about cryptocurrency. They don't know very much about it. They have very little technical information. So I think in that case, that's the way to go then. Hire somebody like you who knows what they're talking about, who's been in crypto for a while, who is a, an attorney and understands all of this. Um, those people would really benefit. So if you're listening to this and that's you, if you don't know that much about crypto and you're worried about an audit, you're somebody who would very much benefit from working with Alex and his team, um, in my opinion, because, you know, there's a lot of knowledge out there about cryptocurrency and uh, it'll, it'll really help if you have somebody working with you who knows that information. All right, Alex, I'm going to ask you some things that I've had clients ask me. The first thing is, and you kind of touched on this about having records. So what if somebody isn't able to access their records from an exchange. Um, one example of this, I think, would be Binance, uh, which you know they have Binance.us now, but a lot of U.S. customers used Binance back in the day, and now for whatever reason, they're not able to access their Binance um, files. And so, let me preface it by saying, usually, I suggest to them to reach out to the Binance support team and say, "Hey, I'm doing my taxes." Can you send me my tax information, my trading information? I need it to do my taxes. If they're unable to do that, what is your suggestion in, the, in that situation when they don't have access to records? That's a good question. Um, you know, so the, the first thing that I think you, I mean, the, the first way to approach it is that you are trying to recreate your entire universe of cryptocurrency activity, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, presumably, you know, you had, if you were on Binance, you had to have some sort of cryptocurrency and you, and if you on-ramped with fiat, you know, US dollars, then you're starting with your bank statements, right? Then you're going to whatever exchanges you have in the US, Gemini or Coinbase or Kraken, right? And then at some point you're transferring from one of those exchanges to Binance, right? So just from the records that you have, you know, when your activity on Binance started, you know, what you sent, how much you sent, right? And you're going to have a fair market value of what you sent at that time. Then I'm going to presume at the very least, you're going to have some sort of recollection of what you were doing on Binance. You know, usually when people go to, um, you know, maybe uh, offshore exchanges or exchanges that are more difficult to, for U.S. taxpayers to access, it's usually for a specific cryptocurrency. That's true. That's, that's true. that's not available on U.S. exchanges. Mm -hmm. So you probably know that you were trading Bitcoin for, you know, I remember a, a good example of years back was NEO, mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of know, and you probably remember that, you know, I was buying, you know, I set up recurring trades or I went and traded, you know, X amount of Bitcoin for NEO. And if you generally know what the, what the time of the transaction was, um, the time of the day of the transaction, how much you sent in, you can kind of reverse engineer what those trades are, you know, kind of impute the trade. Then the next question is, what did you do with what you acquired on, on Binance or that exchange? Did you then transfer it into some sort of cold storage? Does that cold storage have a ledger? Well, it probably does. And it probably shows that X amount of NEO came in on this date, right? And so you can kind of isolate when the transaction occurred, you know, basically estimate what the transaction was. You have fair market value data, um, and so you should be able to impute those trades. And then, um, and then from that, you know, you essentially book a trade, um, the sale of the Bitcoin when you purchase the NEO, 
Um, if you're if you're in front of an auditor, you've you of course acknowledge this is the issue. I don't have this finance trade, but here's my methodology. Mm. Um, and, and that's how you'd address it. Now I'm sure there's some people who are out there saying, well, look, I was running an arbitrage play with my bot for you know six months. How am I gonna do this? Right. But it's more complicated, but it's the, the same the same um, principles apply. And there you need to come up with a reasonable methodology to um, to explain it. And if you think in that regard, I mean probably the most important information is, you know, are you able to track what your running balances are of each cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. right? Cause you should never have a negative balance of any cryptocurrency. You can't have negative Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, and to try and trying to work through that way, but it, that's more complex. You're going to need help in that situation. You're probably not going to be able to impute, you know, you know, 300,000 trades. Um, right. but you're probably going to need to hire a professional to help you there. I mean, it's great. It's great advice. Though. So basically essentially, you know, first step, reach out to that exchange, Try and see if they can provide you with the records. That's like you're going to be your first step. Reach out to their support. Find an email for them. Do whatever you can. Search search the message boards, Reddit, for other people that have had your issue because a lot of people write into me and have that issue. And I say, listen, other people have had success by reaching out to their support uh, team and, and trying to get those records. Then next, next, as you said, treat it like a big puzzle. And if you can't figure out where certain pieces go, look at the other pieces of the puzzle to see if that'll help you solve where, where those pieces are supposed to go. Um, and then, you know, further down, the more complex it is, talk to somebody like you. But overall, if you can if you can prove your case and you can justify it, that's another thing that I've always said that you've told me on podcast is provide as much proof as you can. Over-report. Over-report. Yeah, so you used to say, oh, every time I've talked to you, over-report. And I've always shared that with people. Um, anytime they ask me about this kind of stuff, I always say, there's no harm in over-reporting generally. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can always harm yourself, but there's no harm generally in over-reporting because you're giving as much proof as possible to the IRS. So say to them, listen, I can no longer access this exchange. I did what I could to get the data. Here's my best guess of what the data was. You know, But I, I will say this, I, I've had somebody that I've been working with that they didn't actually even want to request the data from the exchange because they were a, they're a U.S. citizen, but the exchange just the exchange didn't allow U.S. customers, which a lot of a lot of crypto traders have done. They've used a VPN or something like that to access um, a crypto exchange that they're not technically allowed to be in, and they didn't even actually want to reach out to them because they were scared that there would be some sort of repercussions. I wonder, do you think that there would be repercussions with the IRS? If you said to them, listen, I'm a U.S. citizen, I use this exchange that was only available to non-U.S. citizens, is that something somebody has to be scared to say to the the IRS or is that, it's probably a complex question, but it is something that is on people's minds, I'm sure. So any input on that? Sure. Um, I mean, two responses. I mean, first, that's a great example of when people go into an audit um, representing themselves right? Because they have this fear and they walk in thinking, I've just got to clear my conscience and tell you this, right? Mm. I don't know that if most auditor, IRS auditors would even have any clue that that's even a potential issue, right? So, or even that Binance is a non, you know, doesn't, doesn't uh, mm. or at least then didn't have AML KYC protocols that met with, you know, US regulations, right? So just, you know, that's a great example of this. You kind of build up this fear in your head and it drives how you respond in the audit. Yeah. Um, I think the second answer, and again, I am not a securities attorney, but um, I probably should stop talking after I said but, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, my understanding of those kind of AML KYC protocols is intended to stop, um, you know, money laundering and kind of the, the misuse of um, 
in this case, cryptocurrency and exchanges to avoid U.S. regulation, okay, and, and U.S. U.S. tax taxes and you know support criminal enterprise, right? If none of those things are what you're doing, right, and you just went in and bought a little bit of cryptocurrency on an exchange that didn't have AML KYC. Mm-hmm. It's very, 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 very unlikely that that's going to ever be an issue um, generally, but in an IRS audit. On that topic, the next thing I want to ask is the three-year rule. So for, uh, you know, generally we think, you know, three years ago, 2017, if somebody has some issues in their 2016 taxes, for example, we think, well, the IRS may not care that much. That's not always true, right? Like you could have, they might go back more than three years, the IRS, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the general rule is the IRS can propose or adjust, propose additional income or adjust income, um, you know, three years after the date the return is filed or the due date of the return, whichever is later. Okay, so let's just say your 2017 return due April 15th of 2018. So they'd have to adjust that by April 15th of 2021. Okay, let's use that as an example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that means that that tax year, the 2017 tax year, is almost closed, right? Which means it's very unlikely that the IRS would open that tax year right now as its first move. Okay, you're much more likely to have, say, your 2018 or really your 2019 return to be open right now on a traditional audit. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there are rules that extend that. You can be extended up to six years um, if it meets certain threshold of underreporting. If there's fraud, um, that can extend it. Um, and keep in mind, if you never filed the return to begin with, it's open. The, 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 the statute has not started running. Hmm. So if you just had a bunch of crypto trades in this example, you know, for the last five, six years and never filed a return, there's no three-year rule that's protecting you until you start filing those returns. Past those three years though, um, from what I've heard, you know, they can go back and dig into those past years. You just said they might not start with those years. So, yeah. And I mean, and here's the catch 22, right? Is that if let's just say your 2019 tax years under audit, right? And let's say that's not crypto mm-hmm. and you hire me. The very first thing that I'm going to do in responding to the IRS is doing everything that I can to limit the scope, the documents that are only specific relevant to specifically relevant to 2019. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want 2018 to be opened. I don't want, um, you know, items that weren't being looked at before being looked at, right? Because that means a longer audit. It's more expensive for the client. The more they're looking at, the more likely they're going to make adjustments in other years. Um, But with crypto, it's kind of like, um, you know, if you're looking at stock transactions, right? Or a net operating loss. There's going to be information from earlier years that, is going to be required, right, to, to demonstrate basis, especially for people that are early adopters or, um, you know, had a lot of trading activity for many years, and you're trying to show that, you know, what was sold recently was the higher basis information. Mm-hmm. So in those kind of cases, you almost have to be ready to go back to the beginning of the activity and to show that, right? right? And so that's the catch-22 when it comes to these types of audits, because nobody wants to get into that. But part of, part of what you want to analyze when you first take a look at it is, all right, what did I report on the returns? What are the annual gains and losses for each of my years? And because I've had year, I've had issues, I've had clients who, for example, didn't report anything on early years, like 14, 15, 16, 
mm-hmm. it's audited for 17 and 18. But the earlier year trades, there was really no gain or loss. It was minimal, you know. I mean, there was there was sales, but the gains or loss were minimal. And in those kind of audits, the IRS just you know, made made an adjustment to 17 and 18 that was consistent with the records and didn't touch the earlier years because it wasn't worth their time to go through to go through the administrative requirements that they have to to open those older years. Right. It's not as if they can just snap fingers. They have to go through certain administrative requirements when they want to go past that three year rule or even if they want to open up uh, a year that's within three years. So um, understanding that and analyzing that risk kind of can guide how you approach it with, um, you know, with the IRS. Right. And in, in the flip side of the coin, sometimes you have people that early adopters where basis is almost irrelevant. Right. When you're talking about Bitcoin at almost 50,000. Yeah. You know, forty nine thousand. If basis is a hundred dollars or you know two hundred dollars, it really does not matter, right? So maybe in that case, you make a different kind of decision, um, you know, and 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 try and try try and approach it differently. There's probably not a ton of people with like a hundred dollar cost basis Bitcoin that are selling for fifty thousand dollars. I'm sure that it exists, but I'm sure there's yeah. not a ton of people uh, that are incurring those like forty nine thousand dollar capital gains or forty or forty nine thousand well, nine hundred capital gains. Yeah, but the, I mean, the other thing too to keep in mind, you know, and just in approaching an audit, with, you know, with respect to cryptocurrency, is that as we kind of said, there's not a lot of people at the IRS, and, and there's probably probably more now than there used to, be, but probably not a lot, who are experts in cryptocurrency, right? And you know, in going through these types of audits, they might they might lean on internal ex- experts to help them kind of deal with some of the issues that come up. Mm-hmm. But what are these? What what do the revenue agents know? They know accounting right? And they know the principles of accounting, right? And so as much as you can conf- you know, present your records in a way that are consistent with accounting principles, right? And that are, you know, and look familiar to, you know, um, to someone, even if they don't know cryptocurrency, but it's familiar because it's on a spreadsheet and it, you know, uses basic accounting methodologies, mm-hmm. you know, the more likely you are to get them to agree with what you're, what you're doing. And keep, keep in mind, I mean, anybody who's done, the, you know, worked with the cryptocurrency accounting, it's tedious, it's frustrating, you know, it can be painstaking work. It doesn't mean that the IRS wants to sit there and do the work for you, mm. right? So if you have a good, complete presentation that they can go through and spot check on source information, you're going to have a much better chance of getting a good, a good result. And I think that's part of why you want to, you know, understand what you're realistic results are before you even enter into the, you know, into the, into the audit with the auditor so that you in the same token can say, all right, I understand that I had X amount of unreported income, you know, let's get them to agree to this and then we can just kind of move on. Yeah. And another reason again, to kind of say why having somebody like you in their corner is a good idea, because I imagine you can create that portfolio on your client's behest to provide to the IRS, although it would also require for your client to give you that information, but I would imagine you could put together quite a nice portfolio to provide to the IRS. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of clients who come with Bitcoin.tax files. And the first thing we do is we, we do our own spot check of it. Mm-hmm. And if we think it's within kind of the, you know, the realms of reasonable kind of results, then that's great. Let's use that. There's, there's no reason not to use it. Right. Um, but if there are major issues or there are major holes or there, there are missing records that create, you know, substantial issues, or there's more complex activity, margin trading, or Mm -hmm. um, other things like that, leverage trading, um, 
then, you know, we, then we can certainly help kind of then, you know, bridge the gap and build out more complete and robust uh, accounting records. Yeah. And there's even things to kind of look out for just in terms of, uh, you know, like, for example, one thing I think of often is uh, Poloniex for a, a good amount of time, months recently, they were exporting this file that was just wrong. It was the data was in the wrong columns and, and it was just creating all sorts of headaches for people. They were adding that data in and it was saying, you know, you had 500 Bitcoin worth of a fee for one transaction. Very obviously wrong. Nobody paid a 500 Bitcoin fee for a transaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you're not looking and you're just calculating and not really going through your stuff by yourself, there's an example of something that is going to cause a huge discrepancy, um, you know, regardless of what you do. So there's all sorts of things that can happen, right? Regardless of which software you're using, or if you're not using a software, there's always something that can happen that even could be out of your own control. Um, like in, you know, the Poloniex example, nobody could do anything about that except Poloniex. Only Poloniex, you know, we put a notice up on Bitcoin.tax that, that alerted people of it and told them how they could fix it and offered to fix it for them. But, you know, if they're not using Bitcoin.tax, I don't know if other services were telling them about that. And there, there you go. You have huge, huge mistakes without mm-hmm. actually doing anything wrong. So it's possible in all sorts of ways. You don't, you know, making mistakes is not just something that people are doing on purpose, right? I mean, that's the definition of a mistake. They're not doing it on purpose, though, for the most part. Some people maybe are reporting their crypto taxes incorrectly on purpose, but generally people are just making mistakes that, you know, they're not trying to be uh, negligent with their reporting. No, I, I agree. And I, th- I think most people, either they're making an honest uh, to goodness effort to get it right, or they're just not reporting anything. I think that's going to be 99% of, of you know, the two camps. Mm-hmm. All right, Alex. So, you know, I alluded to this a few times. Uh, generally, I love just having you on to talk about audits. You know, it's a scary topic, even though we try to demystify it and you try to make it as unscary as possible. But people do love listening to these episodes. But something that's new to this episode is that you are our audit defense partner. If people were interested in finding out more about that audit defense service, they can go to bitcoin.tax slash audit defense. And there's some more information about our audit defense services. And there's some pricing there. So, you know, audit by mail, 2000, audit in person, 4000, criminal investigation, contact us. Those prices um, are variable. So do you want to just talk a little bit about how the pricing works for anybody interested in signing up via our audit defense service? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, um, you know, every audit is different and and there's really an X factor, which is that you just don't know who exactly at the IRS you're going to be dealing with, how competent they're going to be, how aggressive they're going to be. Um, And so, you know, our goal is to kind of, you know, like I said, when a client comes in is to kind of analyze the case put together the most responsive package that we can. And our goal is to kind of resolve the case, you know, in a way that is as efficient and effective as, as possible. But that's never a guarantee in any audit, right? So kind of with these prices, you know, our thought is this is, you know, what you could expect to pay. Um, and in a very good scenario with good records and good luck, then that very likely that'll be the, the you know, kind of what you're going to pay, mm-hmm. but it's very possible. And in a lot of audits, it does exceed those amounts. So I think for each person, if we were to talk to you, the first thing we do is kind of talk to you um, to get a better sense of what's going on, the state of your records, um, whether you do need help with additional accounting services. Um, 
but you know, I can tell you from all the audits we've done, we've had very good results. Um, and we always try to, you know, right from the outset kind of forecast as best we can, what we see kind of happening. Um, because my goal is for people to be happy with what we do and to feel like they've gotten a good value for, um, for the services that we provide. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, I mean, you are, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best in the business and, and who I always come to for audit information. I mean, like I said, that's how I see you as the, as the audit pro. Um, and you've been in the crypto space for a long time. You know, if you're listening and you, you're not super familiar with Alex, First, I would suggest checking out the other episodes that I've done with Alex, because this is probably, I think, the fourth episode we've done together. The last episode we did, as I mentioned, was a roundtable discussion with him and Matt Metris. And then before that, we had a couple episodes with him where he talked about some of the stuff we talked about today and some other um, timely stuff that was happening back then. So that's a really good way to get to know more about Alex. But he knows his stuff. His team knows his stuff. Uh, they're super smart people over there. I think you guys are the team to go to. So I appreciate you uh, doing the podcast today and sharing all this information too. This is like free information right here. This is a free consultation basically, except it's not tax <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I know, of course. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I always try to be straightforward with people and give them kind of a down the middle kind of um, assessment right from the outset. So, um, and you know, and, I, and I'm glad that people, I want people to know what the realities are. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be driven by fear um, I want them to be, you know, making logical decisions because they are the ones that are the ones that are going to ultimately live with the consequences, not myself. So, um, and I know that's how I'd want to be dealt with um, or treated if I was in the opposite uh, position. Yeah. And that's another thing is it's refreshing when I talk to you because you really bring in the reality. You know, when I talk to people, it really is such a, it feels like a, a very, you know, monolithic agency you're dealing with the IRS. It's kind of scary, unknown, but you really bring the reality. You, you say, listen, here are your rights. Here's what you don't have to worry about. Here's what you don't have to say. Here's what we'll do and we'll handle it. Um, it's not this all knowing agency that's going to squash you like a bug. So I, that's always really refreshing to hear that dose of reality from you after all the horror stories I'm hearing. So, yeah, well, at the end of the day, I mean, remember, 99% or more of the IRS enforcement is civil, not criminal, right? So most people are worried about criminal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the second part is that I live, I am in a profession where every single person I talk to is doing a cost benefit analysis. No one wants to pay me just to pay me, right. right? They want to pay me so they save something with the IRS, right? And that's, that's absolutely my approach. And, um, you know, I think it should be the driving consideration. It shouldn't be someone playing your fears against you to kind of squeeze as much, you know, money out of you as possible. So that that's kind of, you know, and I hate that. I, I, I see that every day from competitors out there that kind of, you know, use people's lack of experience and fears to kind of motivate them to make poor decisions. Yeah, especially in the crypto space, I'm sure. I mean, that combination, uh, there's a lot of people trying to take advantage of uh, the many openings in the crypto space to make money off people. We see it all the time. So yeah, I'm sure it's, you know, doubly the case with crypto auditing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, Sal, I mean, I, I know about crypto. I've been doing it for a number of years, but a lot of my clients know a lot more about cryptocurrency than I do. Right. And I just know how to, how to apply the basics and the principles of tax reporting to cryptocurrency so that we get to the right result and we can kind of, you know, demonstrate that to the IRS. So, 
any event, I'm really glad to be on the podcast. It's awesome, Sal. You guys are great at Bitcoin.tax. So thanks for having me, man. Of course. Thanks again for coming on, Alex. Really appreciate it. Anytime. All right.